Welcome to the Adventure Life Podcast, where we are finding adventure in the God of every day. And now your host, Will Ratcliffe. Have you ever had an experience that you knew would change the course of your life, or at least an aspect of your life? I've had quite a few over the course of my life. Some are experiences that have changed the trajectory of my career, some changed the direction of my personal life, and others it's merely changed something small, you know, more a non-life-changing decision. Sometimes these alternate routes have come directly from a nudge from God. Some have come through a lot of prayer and conversation. And quite a few have come through other people, either through a relationship, podcast I've listened to, or even through a book I've read. Hey, Adventure Lifers, I'm Will Ratliff. This is the Adventure Life Podcast. Welcome to episode 12. This podcast has been going on for three months now. It's really crazy to to think about that. Just this past week, I started reading a book by Walter Brueggemann. And I may be viewing this podcast a little differently from now on. And it may change some things up slightly. Uh, it's probably nothing that you would notice, but just something, just some things that I've been thinking about. And I'm not sure if you've ever had this happen while reading a book or listening to a podcast, but you just suddenly see things in a different light and you have a choice to go in one of two directions. I've had this happen numerous times, you know, when reading the Bible, usually it's something I've read over and over, but all of a sudden, just like it jumps off the page and slaps me in the face and then causes me to think about it differently. So I had that happen to me when I was reading this book by Walter Brueggemann. It was called, it's called The Pro- Prophetic Imagination. I'd heard of this author on a couple of different podcasts, and then I looked up some quotes that he said. I really liked what he had to say, so I ordered a couple of books of his. And I'm barely into this one, and I'm already having these realizations, so I figured this is going to be a pretty good read already. And I, you know, I've never considered myself a prophet even having a good dose of prophetic giftings. I've experienced prophecy and have prophesied over some people, although my experience has been limited. And I'm careful with using that word because it can and has often been misused, misinterpreted, it's been abused. But what I'm reading in this book, though, is a different way to look at this prophetic gifting. It's two-sided, according to Brueggemann, and that a prophet offers critique but also energizes people to an alternate way of being and doing. So if I'm looking at it in that sense, then this podcast actually might be more of a prophetic one in a lot of ways than I would have thought about before. And that was actually one of the reasons I didn't start a podcast for so long. I know I had critiques of the way that we do church and view ministry and, and you know, much in our Christian life. However, I also wanted to have some experience in a different way of doing things before sharing my thoughts and also being able to offer a different way of doing things. I don't feel bound by tradition, although I've been in a, a number of very traditional church experiences. I really feel called to a different way of doing a lot of things that normally are wrapped up in tradition. You know, And even non-denominational churches can get caught up in their own forms of tradition. So I'm not even talking about you know, these less liturgical churches. Tur- you know, liturgical being like Catholic, Episcopal, those things that have a lot of form and function... And uh, yeah, I think this also helps clarify things for me as well, you know, what I've been thinking about and will challenge me to continually not only think about the, cri- the cr- this critical side of things and cr- critiquing things, but will help me focus on always offering a different way, affirming different experiences and really energizing people to a new way of looking at things, new way of doing things. So with that being said, over the next few podcasts, I want to talk about some of the things I've been hinting at for a while now. 
um, in, in previous podcasts. I may offer a few differing points of view here than what you're typically going to hear in your local congregation by your pastor. Uh, you know, that is if you attend one of those. And I'm also going to offer, you know, what I want to offer a different way to look at some of these things. And these are the areas that I may dive into more now and again in later podcasts. But I wanted to really start out and offer some different ways to look at these things that really don't get you know, viewed for the most part, especially in your kind of normal, traditional, quote-unquote, church. So one of the things that Brueggemann talks about in his book is that, and this book was originally written a long time ago, um, that the church at large is, as a whole, unreceptive and unable to deal with criticism. And I would agree, there seems to be this line a lot of the time that you just don't cross. There's this line in the sand. And you're either coming against God's anointed, so to speak, if you dare say anything negative or critical about the church, especially the one that you attend, or you're just being rebellious because you have a difference of opinion, or oftentimes both, you're rebellious and you're coming against God's anointed. So fortunately, that hasn't been my experience at the churches where I've been on staff and I've asked questions, but there are always questions in my mind about why we did certain things, how everything was programmed, you know, a lot of times down to the second, and why everyone was encouraged to serve within the church. And a lot of times, few were encouraged to pursue what Father might have been asking them to do in their neighborhood, neighborhood, community, or even at work. So now, just to clarify, there were messages about living for Jesus at work and at home, being a person of integrity, but really there were few, if any, messages that really encouraged people to view that as their ministry. That seemed to always be reserved for church volunteer work or you know paid church work. Those kinds of things were viewed as ministry. So if, a few years ago... We were attending a church service, and my son came home and told me that they were asked to draw a picture of the church. And I was curious and asked him what he drew. He said, well, everyone else drew a picture of a building, but I drew a picture of people. And a little shocked, I asked him, okay, so what, what made you draw the people? How do you know the church was made up of people? And he said, you, you did. You told me the church was made up of people, that it wasn't a building. I don't tell this story to brag because admittedly, I was actually a bit stunned that he would do that. I didn't remember telling him that, but somewhere along the way, I guess I did, and he picked up on it. But to me, it's sad that more kids didn't draw a picture of people. And I'm sure if you were to ask every pastor in that building, they would say that the building is not the church, it's made up of the people in it. But if you think of how we use the word, then it's no wonder that kids would draw what they did. Let's go to church. Time to go to church. We're meeting them at church. What church do you go to? So these are the kinds of things that we say, we ask when talking to people about church, and kids pick up on that. So my question is, how can we refer to church differently? What, you know, when we begin to teach and speak differently about the church, then our kids will learn that the church isn't a building. The church is made up of the people who love God and are called to represent Him in the world. They may meet in buildings. They can meet in homes. They can meet in bars or schools or any number of places. They may have organized meetings or meet spontaneously. They may meet in small groups or large groups. Scripture actually says that where two or three meet in the name of Jesus, that he's there among them. Yet we often think the Spirit won't show up unless there's two or three hundred or more. At least, you know, that's how we act sometimes. But if there are two people and only two people who meet in the name of Jesus, then the church has just had a gathering. There doesn't need to be a specific program or format. No priest or pastor needs to preside over these. There doesn't need to be a set curriculum or a study. All of the All of those things can be determined by those who meet as they're led by the Spirit. 
And the Spirit indwells each believer the same. There's no special anointing for a pastor. That's why the Bible calls it the priesthood of the believer. We all have the same access to Father and the same Spirit that dwells within us. Now, we each have different gifts, but there are no special positions within the church. We've created those as part of our tradition that I mentioned before. We've elevated men to the point where they speak on behalf of God for us again. That's what the Israelites wanted in the Old Testament. God wanted to be their king and leader, but that wasn't good enough for them. We often talk about how we need to be fed by the pastor or a message. Only God wants you to do that for yourself. He wants to be the one you look to for sustenance and for growth. And just like Jesus told his disciples, my food is to do the will of the one who sent me. So again, we've kind of replaced God with a person, like the Israelites did in the Old Testament. God wanted to be the king of the Israelites, but the people wanted someone else. They wanted this human representation. So when you need a word or encouragement or you need filling, he wants to be your sustainer. Now, You know, there's nothing wrong with learning from someone or sharing what we're learning with each other. I believe that's an essential part of the church. There's nothing wrong with hearing from someone or enjoying a message or a certain speaker. Yeah, we've made that most of what the church does, and there are so many more aspects and functions of the church that I see missing from what we've made it to be. And I often wonder if you remove a church from a community, would anyone miss them except those that attend its services? That might be a good gauge of the health of a congregation. And if that church closed its doors, chances are the people that attended there would simply find another one, another building, and, you know, who has those gatherings and continue on as usual. To me, that's something we need to seriously consider. If our communities are not impacted by our presence, then something is not quite right. We may be too inwardly focused and concerned more with what we get out of going to a service and actually what Father is calling us to in the day-to-day goings-on of our lives. And I'm not saying that you need to do more for God. I'm just saying that you might need to recalibrate spiritually, learn to listen to what he's saying and respond where he's moving. And that may take some time and patience and some practice. You know, there's some who listen to this podcast that are on the journey that don't attend a weekly gathering. You know, that's where I fall. My wife likes to go to local service and I'll go with her on occasion. But for me, I'm exploring other ways to meet outside of traditional settings And I'm having fun with it. COVID has certainly impacted all of us in how we meet and how churches meet right now. And I'll talk about online church for a minute. I'm even less of a fan of online church than the traditional setting. Just to me, if we've reduced church to nothing more than hearing some songs, and let's face it, few people are going to sing at home in front of the computer. And I'll talk about worship shortly. And if all we've done is reduce that to hearing some songs, listening to someone speaking, then I think we've seriously missed the point of the body of Christ. Now, you may disagree, and that's fine. You're free to your opinion. Ultimately, my salvation or your salvation isn't dependent on how we express ourselves when it comes to the church anyway. I'm just offering my perspective and what I've really come to believe over the course of my life. This particular view of church is something that has been evolving since college. I went to Baylor for my undergrad degree, and I remember my first semester there just being really disillusioned with religion and religious people. There were some great people there, and I met some awesome friends who loved and continue to love Jesus. My first semester, though, there was a lot of kind of this one-upmanship that just really turned me off when I was talking about religion. That was really the only time I almost walked away from the faith. So I thought, as I saw some people that were just acting very religious, and I'll use that religious in the the not-so-good sense, 
that if this is what I'm supposed to be like, I really don't want anything to do with Christianity. And thankfully, the Lord led me down a path that is about freedom and grace, more than about works, expectations, and obligation. So I've talked in the past how I thought that changing our style of worship music in the church would be the key to the church's dilemma. And man, was I naive. And honestly, music style is just a preference. Just like the way you may prefer to listen to one preacher over another or speaker over another. And that's one of the downsides of how most congregations operate. So this weekend, I was taking my son and some friends to go fishing, and they were talking about where one of the boys was going to church. I still just don't like that, <laughs> that phrase at all. Um, but they were talking about, you know, what he thought of it, how he liked it. And he just, he said, you know, the music wasn't good, but that everything else was okay. So one of my biggest concerns about the way we treat church is that we approach it like we do most things in America as consumers. So we treat it, even if we may not see it this way, as a product or service to be consumed, rather than as how I feel like the Bible describes it, just as a body of believers sent into the world to show other people the love and mercy of Jesus and what he did for us. And what we refer refer to as worship is really no different. Again, when I was at Baylor, I heard one of the best definitions I've ever heard, and I still refer to it on worship. That worship is our response to God for who he is and what he's done, in and by the things we say and the way that we live. So my critique of worship is really in, again, how we use the word. When we say worship, we typically just mean the music part of the service that we attend in a building. When the Bible talks about worship, it rarely speaks of music. There's music mentioned in the Bible, but it's really connected with the word worship as we refer to it. So the word worship can mean to bow or actually to kiss. And worship in its essence is an act of love. So any loving act can be an act of worship, worship of God. It plays out in how I treat my family or neighbor, how I respond to my coworkers, how I respond when things don't go my way, or I'm in a conversation where I might disagree with someone. The way I respond in those situations can all be acts of worship because I can respond in love in all of those scenarios. Now, music can be worship, but worship includes much more than that. I believe there are numerous ways we can express our worship, and this is coming from a former worship leader. Not everyone responds to music in the same way. It is such a subjective thing, and apparently kids know it is, whether they realize it or not, like my son's friends. If we really are the body of Christ, and we'll have multiple ways that we worship God and respond to His presence. Because there's multiple people within the body, and there's different ways that we connect with God. For me, I love the outdoors and can really connect with Him in nature. For someone else, it might be through serving others or getting involved in a local community project. It could be having people over for dinner. It could be the gift of hospitality that really connects with them. And I'm not going to give a ton of examples because I could go on and on and on. Where you feel connected with God, where you feel you can reflect and respond to him or serve others, or even where you just feel God's presence or pl- pleasure. Those are your times of, of worship. And those are the places that you can worship the best. Now, I'm going to be, age myself now, but there's an old movie that came out in the 80s called Chariots of Fire. It tells the story of a couple of Olympic runners, and one of them, Eric Liddell, is a Christian, and one of the lines in the movie is one of my all-time favorite quotes. And he just says, he's talking to someone, and says, just when I run, I feel his pleasure. So to me, that guy is worshiping as he runs. And I think he's a bit crazy because who would feel God's pleasure running, you know? <laughs> but I've done some running, but I don't feel much pleasure at all. But there are other things where I do, you know, like I said, in the outdoors, whether it's hiking or camping or just being out in nature, 
I feel God's pleasure then, and there's other areas where I feel it as well. And again, there may be times when you feel pressured to view worship in this narrow vein of being just about music, but it's not. You can't for a minute back that up with Scripture. Worship is so much more than that. And again, that's where I think online church and even church in a building falls short because we reduce worship to music, just this set of songs and what God wants to say to us in a 20 or 30 minute message from someone else, someone who's supposed to hear from God each week and report it into the rest of us. When I think that really can limit our view of who God is and what he wants to do in our lives and in the lives of the church. It would be interesting to me to see what would happen if people really did begin to believe that they could hear from God for themselves and respond to his nudges and worship him in a variety of ways and in a variety of settings. What would the church look like then? And how would we impact those around us? And what, you know, what would that do to our faith and how we grow spiritually? I think it would be an amazing thing to witness if people really believed those things and pursued those things. And I think you would have a church like I mentioned in the beginning, one that would be noticed if it disappeared from the community. Because God's heart is to be involved in others' lives and to be intimately involved. And it's that forgiving and grace-filled kind of community that I talked about a few weeks ago. And if that kind of community disappeared, you would definitely notice because there are so few like that. It's so rare. When I was a pastor, I worked with young, with youth and young adults. It's really hard to get them involved in church as usual. You know, I used to take that personally and thought that there was something I could do to get them to come or you know, there was something I wasn't doing. But I think I was missing the point then, too. There are a lot of people living, leaving the building but maintaining their faith, or even those who say that they left the more what we'll call the institutional church, which is church in the building, to hang on to their faith and for their faith to survive. Some people label these as the duns. They're done with church as we know it and, and have known it. And for me, leaving the building and not really having many ties to church as usual was less about hanging on to my faith Although I can understand those who say that, as it was about wanting to explore a more authentic way to express what I thought being the church really meant. And I was asked this week to explain myself, explain why I don't go to church. Sorry, that my yuck meter got pegged there. And I thought that I could have easily asked those around me why they did. Why, why do you go to church and what was so important to them about that? For many people, the reason is because that's what we're supposed to do. Again, yuck meter pegged. To which a follow-up question might be, so where does that sense of obligation come from? Because I can tell you it doesn't come from Father. I believe it comes more out of our cultural norms and the pressure of either living in the Bible Belt or the, you know, the society we live in. Because you won't find any scripture that tells you to attend church and how to gather. It does say not to give up meeting together, but it doesn't specify how those are supposed to look. Again, back to the two or three gathering before. For me, hanging out with a couple of guys over beer and dinner or meeting a friend or friends for coffee is just as much church as, and more a lot of times to me, as just sitting there in a building listening to some songs and listening to someone speak. But think about the times that you really felt connected with people. Usually it's just times you may be over at someone's house and you feel like you're really starting to get to know them, just over some conversation, over dinner, or before dinner, or after dinner. They open about something going on with them or their family or work. You know, and usually... If you're in a small group, it's not necessarily during the Bible study time. Usually it's before or after when the real conversations take place. It's funny how we feel like we need to stop those to start a more Bible-focused time instead of just letting conversations happen naturally. We feel like we have to weave Jesus in or steer the conversation to more spiritual matters 
instead of letting those happen spontaneously. It just seems there's a lot of pressure around those things. But it doesn't have to be that way. I don't want to discourage you from going to a brick and mortar building for you know, church service or gathering if that's where you feel you need to be. But I also want to encourage those who don't connect with that or feel that there's another way. And I can tell you there is. People won't necessarily understand it. Believe me, I know. That used to really bother me, but I'm getting to be more and more okay with it because I know what's true. I know I love Jesus and my faith continues to grow. And it's probably grown more since I left the institutional church than before. And so if you're thinking about doing something different or already doing something different, I want to encourage you in that and reach out to me. And if, if I can help in any way, I certainly will. But seek to meet with other believers and go to dinner. Invite people over to your house. You don't have to be believers. If you're okay with that right now, of course, with all the pandemic and COVID going on, pray and see who God might want you to build a relationship with. could be a neighbor, coworker, or someone who you haven't met yet. And again, you don't necessarily have to build relationships with people that think just like you. It's it's really good to to make relationships with people that don't look like us or think like us or believe what we do because it can really help challenge our faith and grow our faith and we can discover why we believe what we believe. So there are all kinds of ways to meet and gather, just like there's, you know, there's not just one way to have your this adventure life. There's not just one way to gather as the church. Have fun with it. And again, I'd love to know what you're up to. You can reach out to me at will at adventurelifeministries.com. So for now, this seems to be a good place to wrap up for today. This is such an amazing adventure that God has us in and invites us into. For some of you, this may just be the starting point. Others may have been on this journey for a while. I would just encourage you to do your best to encourage each other as you meet fellow adventurers along the way. And I hope this has been encouraging for you, however you choose to gather as a church and however you choose to view worship. So until next week, my friends, grace and peace, and may you live as the church this week and worship as you feel God's pleasure.